Hey, this is Steph from Coffee Like Media. I'm so glad that you're listening to the Geopaths episodes. Wanted to give you some information on current projects that I'm doing. You can go over to stephfuccio.com to see all of the productions that I'm working on. There's two specifically I'd like to tell you about real quick that I think you might like. If you're curious about ChatGPT and other AI use for content creation, it's coffeelike.substack.com. In that newsletter, you will find the audio, video, and written form of all the episodes that I'm creating there where I'm experimenting with using ChatGPT for content creation purposes. Also, I'm venturing into sound design, doing my own meditation podcast. It's called Solo Work Life Meditations. And if you work from home alone or you're a solopreneur or freelancer, I think you'll find the topics and the vibe of the podcast episodes to be really soothing And of course, if you need help with any of your podcasting needs or know anybody that does, please send them over to me at stephfuccio.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O. I do momentum calls where I help people get unstuck from their podcasting struggles and podcast audits and things like that. After seven years of content creation, I am very much so here for you to help you get your voice your stories and your messages out into the world in whatever way I can do that. Thank you so much for listening to Geopats and I look forward to hearing from you. Bye. Welcome to the Expat Rewind. My name is Stephanie and I will be your host in this experience. What we're doing in this podcast is reaching back into the first year of an expat or geopath's existence into something online, whether it was via a blog, Facebook, Instagram, any sort of social media feed, or even an email that they sent to a group of people that they knew. And we're going to reach back into that post where they told the world about their experience as an expat or geopath. And then the expat or geopath will reflect on what they think of, what they wrote, what they've learned since then, and anything else that comes up. So I will start out pulling those blog entries that I have from 2003 and 2004 in Taiwan, where I went to live and work and teach English. And then there'll be posts from other folks, and I will label the podcast as such, so you know if it's the ongoing narrative of my own blog, or if it's a guest post from other folks. When I lived in the middle of the U.S., I found Amazon delivery services really, really useful. And so I'm excited to have an affiliate link with them. Here's how it works. You don't pay anything. You also don't get a discount. But when you shop normally with the link in the show notes, I get a slight percentage of what you buy. That's it. You click on it, you order, you pay, and then I will see some money show up in my account. And considering how much technology I need to get for the podcast, I need some funding. It is my pleasure today to welcome Carl on the podcast. He is originally from the UK, and he discusses how he found himself once he moved to Denmark and the experiences that he had over the first year that this music that we'll talk about helped him to adjust to life in his adopted country in Denmark. In this interview, you will hear Carl very methodically talk about this band and the impact, the deep emotional impact that this band had on him both before he moved to Denmark and that first one or two years that he was settling in 
and finding his uh, his expat legs in the country. It's funny because you'll hear Carl talk about the abstract nature of the music in the Trouble Will Find Me album from The National. And I couldn't help but think that that kind of abstract, deep emotional sound that he describes is very much so like the ambiguity that we need to get used to when we're first living in a different country. There's a lot of cultural habits that you get used to when you grow up with them that you don't realize until you change cultures. And that kind of abstraction, it sounds like, helped Carl grow into the culture that he was adjusting to in Denmark. And that kind of abstract sound gave him the ability to grow into whatever he needed to to do what he wanted to do in Denmark, to become the person he wanted to be in Denmark. And I think that kind of abstract music, that kind of ambiguity in a first year in a country, that symmetry, that symmetry is very, very cool. So my disclaimer is, in my excitement of uh, having Carl on the program, I did not realize that the you can use 30 seconds of music in a podcast without violating any copyright laws is a load of bullshit. So I'm going to release this episode now <laughs> without any music, and I'll put links down in the show notes to things that we're referencing to so you can get a musical sense of the national without violating any of their well-deserved artistic rights. I'm also going to contact their uh, record company and see if we can get permissions to have snippets of this album in the podcast. Should they uh, agree, I'm going to re-release this with some edited tracks in there to, to do justice to the sounds that Carl is referring to uh, in a rebroadcast later on, uh, most likely next season or the season after that. So I'm going to work on that on the side. So know that as you're listening to this and craving to hear them without having to go off of the podcast, I'm working on it. (laughs) All right. So without further ado, let's listen to what Carl has to say about the impact that this album, The Trouble Will Find Me album from The National, had on his life his first year or two in Denmark, his new home. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carl, for joining us on Expat Rewind today. No problem. Can you give a quick introduction for our listeners? Yeah, as you mentioned, my name's Carl. I'm from Wales in the UK originally. I'm 36 years old and I've been living in Denmark for the last six years. So I moved here in mid-2012 and that was after spending a year backpacking around Southeast Asia, Australia, India. Did you make it to Vietnam by chance? I did make it to Vietnam, yeah. Fantastic, amazing country. Oh my God, seriously. I lived in, in Hanoi for about three years. It's, it's a fantastic country. I bought a motorbike mm-hmm. when I was down the south and rode from the south to the north. Yay. I think a lot of people do that these days, but um, okay. it was a fantastic experience. Amazing country. It is the place to ride a motorbike, I think. It's really, really awesome. Yeah, oh. they're a little bit uh, unsafe, but... Uh, Oh, incredibly. Yeah, yeah. But the the fun thing about the fun thing, the fun and kind of weird thing for me to say that it's fun about Vietnam is that traffic in general is so dangerous that even just crossing the street, it's equally as dangerous as riding a motorbike. Yeah. 
always amazed me that to, to cross the road in Vietnam, you have to almost put your life in other people's hands and step out into oncoming traffic. Yeah. But it works. The system works somehow. Yeah. I don't know how. It's true. It's true. Well, I'm in Shanghai, China right now, and there are times of the day where it's almost the same here. The okay. crosswalk, but you literally have to go before anybody will stop for you. <laughs> so it's just kind of hoping that they're decent. And they generally are. But it's, yeah. it is putting yourself out there first. We're going to do our first music episode. Yay! <laughs> Let's do a little bit of the geographical context, and then we'll go into the musical context. So where were you? What? How far into the first year were you? That kind of thing. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I moved to mid-2012, and it was towards the end of that year that I first started listening to, to this particular album, which is Trouble Will Find Me by The National. I don't know if you're a fan yourself. They're an American band from New York. Um, but it's a band that I've listened to over the years, and it's, it's one of those groups that I can identify where I was when I started listening to it. It almost defines periods yeah. of my lives with certain albums. Yeah. How did you so, find out about them? So a friend, um, a friend of mine's a big music fan and we're into similar kind of music, you know, Neil Young, um, some indie music, particularly from the UK. And he recommended The National and yeah, immediately sold on them, immediately sold. And I've seen them live a few times over the years. Thankfully, they're, they're very popular in Denmark. So I've been lucky enough to see them live on a number of occasions. What was it about their sound that resonated with you at that point? Or was it the sound or was it the lyrics or a combination of both? I think, I think a mixture. The, the lyrics are often abstract. So you almost have to use your imagination. And I prefer lyrics to be uh, abstract rather than a songwriter spelling things out for you. I think it's great to use your imagination and also the, the sound of the music as well, the cadence of the music. And uh, as I mentioned, I think I've, the reason I have a strong attachment to them is I can remember, like, for instance, the album prior to the one we're going to discuss today, I listened to when I was traveling. So a lot of my experiences of being in Southeast Asia and Australia are linked to this band. So when I came to Denmark, I think I first started listening to this album. Again, it's almost like the soundtrack of that first, the first year that I spent in Denmark. And it was a year where I was still... Um, trying to assimilate, settle down, decide if I wanted to stay here, what I wanted to do career-wise. So a lot of important things that I decided in that first year, this is what I would have been listening to in the background, really. Okay, so you actually were exposed to the National from via a friend while you were traveling for that six months, not your first year No, in yeah, prior. So prior to me moving to Denmark is when I started listening to them, okay. yeah. But it was one of those things that was really a strong part of your first year. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then okay. there was a lot of change going on in that first year. The, the album as well helped me meet people. A lot of my friends were into the same kind of music, something we bond over. So a similar way to how I am with my friends back home in the UK, it was the same in Denmark where we bond over a shared interest in, in certain um, types of music. Oh, fantastic. Do you play any music? I don't, and my singing voice is even worse than my music. So please don't ask me to sing any lights. <laughs> no, oh no, oh gosh, no. I would I would not do that. You mentioned some of the some of the things that hit you when you first yeah. moved to Denmark. Um, yeah. can you mention like the strongest things that you felt 
Yeah, well, I moved to Denmark because whilst I was traveling, I met uh, a Danish girl and we kept Aww. in touch. Yeah, it's such a cliche, <laughs> a holiday romance. Um, so we, we kept in touch. I moved to Australia to continue with my travels. She moved back to Denmark. And then after spending some time in Australia, yeah. I decided to visit her in Denmark, see what it was all about. But my plan was to go back to Australia. But I came to Denmark and decided to stay, really. Unfortunately, the relationship <laughs> hasn't survived to this day. But n- nonetheless, mm-hmm. I moved to Denmark and it's been um, a real positive move for me, definitely. Mm-hmm. But initially, I think it's certain differences, particularly as, as mm-hmm. I was traveling. I think when I first came to Denmark, I was very much in that mode. I saw Denmark mm-hmm. almost as another another country to visit. I never really thought I would stay here this long necessarily. But over the course of that first year, I settled in. I came to appreciate what the country had to offer and decided to stay. And, and it's been yeah, very rewarding, rewarding six years in Denmark. What was the hardest part of the first year? Finding employment. Mm. I think Good point, yeah. A challenge, not speaking the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and not at that point, not necessarily having a, a career. So when I came to Denmark, I did the, the thing that all... Um, British and Irish people do. I went to find a job in an Irish pub. Mm. So, um, nothing that wrong. Me, <laughs> no, that helped me gain um, a social network, right. allowed me to meet people. It was mm. really, really important. I think with, without finding that job, I don't think I would necessarily be in Denmark now. Sure. Sure. So that was one of the major challenges: is finding work, supporting yourself, and then making some decisions, okay, what, what do I want to do in this country? What do I want to get out of it? What do I want to contribute? Those kind of questions. Those big questions, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Now, you said the album was Trouble Will Find Me. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, okay, we have to talk about that name. Um, <laughs> what, what, does that, what did that mean to you? Because it sounded like lyrics were important, so I'm guessing album titles and song titles might have been important too. What, did, what does that title mean to you? I've never given it much thought actually, but now you mention it, it's kind of, uh, yeah, ironic, Trouble Will Find Me. Um, quite ominous title, song title. But I, I think I enjoyed, uh, there's a sort of dark element to the music, an introspective element. As I mentioned, the, the lyrics can often be a little abstract. So it's, Mm-hmm. It's up to the to the listener or the reader to mm-hmm. um, to interpret from that really. And as I mentioned, that it wasn't so much individual songs. It was more that the album was the soundtrack to my first year in Denmark. Where did you listen to it? Well, I have it on vinyl actually. Um, my mm. yeah, oh, sweet. my, my ex girlfriend <laughs> bought it for me on vinyl, and the. The album yeah. itself is it, a work of art. So some of the pictures in there, so I have it framed on my wall at home. Some of the inserts from the album, yeah. so it's mm-hmm. it, it's constantly there. So not just listening to the music. I think the the visual aspect of the album as well. It's um, it's yeah. quite a stark piece when you look at it. So I've got it at home at the moment. Yeah, on the wall, pride of place. So are you saying you only listened to it when you were at home? When I was working at the pub as well, I used to to play it. And I'm not sure okay. all the patrons <laughs> appreciated my musical choices, but <laughs> it was very self-indulgent of me to put this music on and force everyone else to listen to it. But I don't think they minded too much, thankfully. 
Was it too serene for them? Did they want something more upbeat or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. When you play music in a pub, you, you can't please all the people all the time. So um, yeah. some some of them liked it. Some of them prefer the traditional fiddle and the flute of Irish music. But I was able to, to get away with it. You can You can play quite an eclectic mix of music these days in pubs. So... I was lucky enough that I could I could stick this on and, and people enjoyed it. Okay, so I'm I'm trying to look up the album art right now, and so far I'm getting the somewhat creepy album cover of the woman's exactly head, kind yeah weird yeah. Uh, that reminds me of Dexter the TV show for some reason. <laughs> That's an odd analogy. Sorry, no, it, it, it sticks with you. It's it's quite a stark. Oh thing. yeah, it's not something you, yeah, you forget yeah. in a hurry and. Uh, Black no, and white as definitely well. not. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, and that's them. So was that, when you say the, the album art, was that the main feature or was there other stuff inside, like on the sleeves Yeah, on and the stuff? inserts, there's also other pictures as well. So hmm. they're obviously designed to be displayed around the home or put in frames. So the artwork, oh. when it comes to vinyl, is is very important. I think for for some for some uh, bands anyway, at least. Oh yeah, for sure. No, I remember having vinyl in the seventies and eighties and whatnot. I miss vinyl actually. I loved getting like a new forty-five. I don't know if you ever had the the smaller because I'm guessing that was a thirty-three, right? It's the big album. Yeah, I'm not. I, I I'm too young to remember vinyl back in the day. Yeah. I remember my <laughs> yeah my my mother and my father playing vinyl, but I never. I, oh. The kind of guy. That's, that's my era. The CD. I hear you. Well, vinyl, it's really, it's really nice to listen to when you're in a one stationary place, but it, it wasn't mobile. No. So I've definitely switched over to digital pretty early because I, I do listen to a lot of music as I'm just doing a million different yeah. things. But there's a, there's a certain sound to it that you don't, you can't. Definitely. And it's made a, a huge comeback from mm-hmm. what it's like over in China, but certainly in Europe, um, there's lots of, of album record shops. And I think people want something tangible. Since music yeah. has become digital, you don't own anything. You might listen to a song, but that's as deep as the connection goes. If you own something physical, you can read the lyrics, you can look at the artwork. I think you, you have a stronger connection to the music. Maybe that's mm-hmm. the reason I, I I think so much of this album is because I've got it on vinyl as well. You still have the album? Yeah, yeah. I've still, still got it on vinyl at home amongst my other albums. I don't listen to vinyl as much as I should. But mm. it's nice just to have a physical record collection. Same as a book collection. I think it's always nice to, for sure. to, for to, sure. to walk into someone's home and see what kind of music they're into or, or see what kind of books they read. You can tell a lot from them. That's very true. Where do you listen to most of your music now? Is it on a portable device, your phone, computer? Yeah, on my phone, really. Um, but I, I don't necessarily listen to as much music as, as I used to. I think mm. podcasts have replaced um, what I used to do with music, yeah, I, I put a podcast on in the background or I listen to it if I'm commuting to work instead of music. Uh-huh. But there's still moments where I'll put music on and, and listen to music. But uh, sure. podcast is my is my usual medium these days. Yeah, yeah. I I must admit, especially with the research I've been doing the past year, I tend to listen to podcasts one 
when I want to hear something new or learn something. And two, when I want to steal ideas from what other podcasters are doing. So I'm kind of double tasking in my podcasting. So my music, my knowledge of current music has gone way down because I'm completely out of touch now. But I I do like the balance of music and words. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, a lot of the podcasts I listen to, a wide range of podcasts, but mm-hmm. I listen to some true crime ones and that's mm-hmm. almost like an audio book. Yeah, those are so popular right now. Yeah, they, they're huge, some of the true crime podcasts. And mm-hmm. as I mentioned, just the range of podcasts that are out there and the information that's out there. I've learned a lot, I think, from listening to a wide range. There are quite a few. There's two that I can think of. There's two music podcasts that I listen to. One is from the New York Times. Another one, I don't really remember what, if it's a Slate one or an independent one. Yeah. But they're both pretty interesting deep dives into certain albums or certain artists or things like that. If you want, I can send them to you. You can kind of get a look. Yeah, that would be great. I listened to one myself. Um, mm. And that's about the influence that certain of people have had on music. Um, there was one about the Bee Gees. Uh-oh. And I never realized that the Bee Gees... I think that's one of the ones that I can't think... I always forget the name of it, but I think that's one of the ones I'm talking about. Yeah, it probably is, actually. I think it's called The Hit Parade. Yes, maybe. yes, exactly. Yeah, that's okay. it. Yeah, we my, both listened my, to the same yeah, yeah, one. It's funny. My data phone's in the other room. I don't like keeping it near me because I will get distracted when I'm recording. But yeah, that's definitely one of them. And the, the New York Times one is called Popcast. Okay, and the, it's not as curated as the, the Hit Parade, but it definitely yeah. is an interesting analysis of different artists and different uh, kinds of music and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's interesting to, to learn about the genesis of certain genres. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. How, how has that come about? Where did the spark of, of innovation come to start that off? And I find it fascinating that you can trace these almost family trees of music yeah. that came after certain artists like Kraftwerk and people yeah. like that, highly influential yeah. musicians that started completely new musical genres. Totally, totally. And for stuff that we go through when we're younger and then to like hear somebody kind of chronologically lay it out with all kinds of perspective in there is just like, oh, I didn't realize that as it was happening. You know, yeah. it's nice to get that perspective. But let's go back to Denmark in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> so you said there wasn't any one particular song. Does that mean that you just put the album on and just listen to it the whole way through? Yeah, often I can say that I don't think there's a bad song on the album, which is, um, I think the album as a format is, is, is not as important as it used to be. Mm-hmm. I hate to sound like one of these old people, music isn't what it used to be. <laughs> but no, I think the album as a, as a format, as a, as a piece of art, mm-hmm. it's not as important now. This, mm-hmm. Since music has become portable and digital, it's more mm-hmm. the single. So as a, as a piece of art from start to finish, I think listening to it in its entirety makes you appreciate some of its parts more. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. It's been a long time since I've had a whole album that I just put on and listened to. Yeah. Um, and it took me a while to shift from liking a whole album to being able to like an artist, even if there were only maybe half, half of their songs that I liked, because I hated skipping over ones because I felt yeah. like I was doing a disservice to the album itself. Yeah. So yeah, it is, it is quite a shift. And, but, and I think um, the, the arrangement of the album as well, the, somebody has chosen to put one song after another for a particular mm-hmm. reason, to invoke mm-hmm. an emotion or get something from the listener. So I think the composition of the album is is important as well. 
Yeah. Okay. Good point. Let's try to let's try to map that to your Denmark experience. What was the emotional trajectory of the album? Um, it's it starts with a song called "I Should Live in Salt," and while that sounds very depressing, <laughs> it's <laughs> I should live in salt, like S A L. I should live in I should live in salt. Okay. Okay. It's very, I think, quite quite an evocative song mm-hmm. title, and some people would argue that the album is depressing mm. but um i wouldn't agree i find it uplifting mm-hmm. and it illuminates those those dark corners i think of our consciousness mm-hmm. it is it's a bit more real than something that is upbeat and poppy mm-hmm. but yeah that's that's the opening song and then the second song is called demons again rather depressing <laughs> uh, song title but you have to listen to these songs they're not as depressing as they sound don't worry about our impression of it. Tell me your impression of it. So it starts out with those dark corners in that first song. And Demons, does it stay in those dark corners or does it go to a different emotional place? It gets a little bit more lively, more upbeat mm-hmm. uh, towards the middle. Mm-hmm. Songs such as Sea of Love, Heaven Faced, even from the, the, the title, you can tell they're a bit more positive, I would say. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the album as a whole follows the, the same kind of theme Mm -hmm. throughout what would you say that theme is there's a a certain melancholy to it as i Mm -hmm. mentioned the lyrics are abstract it's it's playful and and when you listen to the the writing process that they went through on the album Mm -hmm. it was almost childlike he mentions it was a joy to write it was easy to write Mm -hmm. based on on his previous writing experiences and i think that comes across in, in music itself is the musical part of this songs is it is it very simple and light or is it like a deep complex sound a mixture of both really it'll, it'll be quite light and sparse at times and then quite heavy at times and he's no mariah carey in terms of his voice <laughs> can't hit those high notes but right <laughs> a lot more feeling mm-hmm some of the songs, it's almost like spoken word. Other songs, you'll be growling deep. Um, and then with the, the live performances, mm-hmm. he'll walk off stage and he'll walk not just into the crowds, to the back of the arena wow, and cool. crowd surfing. And yeah. I th- when, when you look, he, he, I think he used to work on Wall Street. I think he was um, a stockbroker. Mm-hmm. It's not what you expect from your average front man, but he, he's, he's a fantastic showman. He really yeah. is. Hey, expats and geopaths. What do you do with the annoying paper mail that you get to your old addresses in your home country? For a few years, I'd have all of my mail forwarded to one friend, and then I'd feel guilty for bothering them so much. So then I'd have a family member... Um, deal with my mail and so on and so forth. And I did this for about like, what, 12, 13 years. And it got annoying. And let's face it, I missed some mail because people have better things to do than look after my paper correspondence. So I finally broke down and got a service from traveling mailboxes. They will literally receive your mail. You get a US address, you get to pick the city that it's in, and you receive mail. And they'll let you know when mail comes in. They'll open it, scan it for you so you can read it. If you really need to, they'll forward it to you for a fee. You can also get packages delivered as well. And so there's like a variety of different services that you can have where you don't have to keep bugging your friends and family to deal with your paper mail. 
So if you go to stephfuccio.weebly.com, it's S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O dot Weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com. If you go to the bottom, you'll see the blue ad on the right, Traveling Mailbox. Click on that. I am now an affiliate program with them, so if you join their services, we both end up very, very happy campers, and you never have to ask your friends or family to receive your mail again. It's truly a beautiful thing. Now, you said you started listening to it when you were traveling for six months. Were you getting the same things from it when you were traveling as that first year in Denmark? And that was the previous album that I was listening to whilst I was traveling. So that album defines my travels, that and a few other albums. I spent a lot of time listening to music during my trip. Okay, okay. So the trouble... Will Find Me album, did that come out the first year you were in Denmark? The first year I was in Denmark, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Some friends from back home, they came to visit me, Mm -hmm. uh, and we went to see the National Live. Mm -hmm. So that was was a a really great experience for me, my friends coming to visit my new home, and we went to see a band that we both enjoyed. It was, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah. Did they know the band before they went to see them with you? Yeah, my fr- my friends and myself were into the same kind of music. Um, so, so they appreciated them just as much as me. Nice. Those dark corners from the beginning, well, some of the songs that you mentioned, mm-hmm. what were the dark corners of Denmark that first year for you? That's a good question. Coming to Denmark is very similar culturally to the UK. Mm-hmm. very yeah. similar and there's a lot of british tv here everyone speaks english mm-hmm. but there's there's small nuances that don't initially see mm-hmm. and after you spend some time in the country and it's those small nuances that used to drive me crazy initially <laughs> examples examples <laughs> for instance this is going to sound really petty but no. there's no queuing culture in denmark you're kidding. So don't know how to form a queue. Yeah. You're totally so kidding. We'll, we'll try and slide in front of you or take your spot. And coming from the UK, probably the same as the States. Is, is, uh, that's a big... If, if people don't know how to queue, then chaos ensues. Oh, it's... It's, we're not quite as serious about it, but we will grumble when people cut in front of us or try or like not adhere to the line. Wow, in Britain, I did not know so that. important. If you jump in front of someone in front of the queue in the UK is a pretty big deal. You yeah. would never dream of doing that. Yeah. So when I came to Denmark, it was those those small little nuances that yeah. I, I couldn't get used to. And I and I think because Denmark and the UK are so similar, mm-hmm. it just accent, accentuated those small differences even mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of similarities between the countries. So settling in was was pretty pretty easy. Mm-hmm. But again, there's those small small little things that become more important than they should be. I think. How would you handle those moments when you when stuff like that would happen and you'd be like, "This is not okay." But wait, it is okay here, but it's not okay for me. How did you handle that? You almost have to check yourself. But sometimes. It would just come out. It was almost like I would have an out-of-body experience <laughs> where I didn't have any control over saying to someone, excuse me, I was next. I think he pushed in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm used to it now. It's yeah. one of those feel, this is my home now, and you have yeah. to 
get over these things. And in the grand scheme of things, nobody's hurt. Nobody's injured. It's just somebody pushing in front of me in the, in the queue and I should be less uptight about it. Yeah, yeah. It does take a while to get used to. I've lived... A lot of my adult life, a lot of my working life over in Asia and a lot of the countries here, Japan, the definite exception, a line is a new thing when you're trying to do something. And when I traveled a lot for work last year, I was going into a lot of uh, train stations and a lot of airports and everybody and their brother and especially the older grandmas would just go straight in front of you, no apologies. And I learned to make kind of a game out of it. And I took my little carry-on and I would kind of use it to get in front so there was no space for people to cut in front of me. And then I'd kind of use my elbows to lean over and I started to kind of do different things so that I wouldn't get frustrated, but that they also wouldn't get in front of me. Because I'm like, really? I also need to get on this train. <laughs> yeah, that's a good tactic. So, well, I had to. I mean, the I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of how crazy. Well, were you in China? Because you said North, Southeast. No, Asia. I, did, I didn't go to China, actually. No. But some of the crowded spaces in Southeast Asia are probably similar to the train stations that I'm talking to. And so if you don't push, you will never get there. So, yeah. yeah. In, in India, when I was traveling, and oh, I yeah. imagine you know, the size of the population there is kind of similar to mm-hmm. China in yeah. urban areas. So just the sheer amount of people you have to elbow someone, you have to push in front exactly. of somebody. Exactly. Exactly. Day. Not only will you not get to where you need to go, but you'll get pushed backwards so that you'll end up further yeah. away. Yeah. But um, also the mm. things that I come to accept now, mm-hmm. I it was more coming from the UK saying please and thank you mm-hmm. as part of yeah, that's a, a huge, hugely significant cultural thing is saying please and thank you and manners and how are you? Mm-hmm. And what I struggled to deal with when I first moved to Denmark is that they're very, I prefer it now actually, they're very straight with people. Mm-hmm. There's no, if you ask someone, how are you? Mm-hmm. You truly want to know how they are. You truly want to know how they feel. It's not mm-hmm. a passing comment. Mm-hmm. Danes do away with these these small niceties that that in the states and in the UK you say mm-hmm. but you don't really mean. It's more being polite. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Denmark, they there's not so much a culture of saying please and thank you with everything you you do. Right. And initially, I used to get particularly working in a pub. I used to get a little bit offended. Mm-hmm. But then to realize this is just this is the way things are. It's not yeah. going to operate the same as it does back home. And this is the way things work here. And, and, and they really do work here in Denmark. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Now I don't know a lot about Danish culture, but I know I've heard that in Germany, which is sort of close by sort of, yeah. at least coming from as far away <laughs> that they're very blunt and like friends or no friends. They'll just tell you what they think and, you know, kind of not have a lot of those niceties. Is it, is it similar to that kind of, I think the Nordic countries, mm. they operate under a, a social democratic model. Mm. So it's very much, Everyone's in this together. There's um, something called Yantalong, which Denmark has adopted. It's, it's similar throughout the Nordic countries where mm-hmm. you don't think you're better than anyone else. I think it's the, the almost the opposite to the States where mm-hmm. you need to fight to succeed and, and these yeah. things. Whereas in Denmark, everyone's opinion seems to matter. Mm-hmm. Everyone's 
welfare matters and that translates into, in, translate into the workplace as well. It's very democratic. Yeah. People care about you. People care what you've got to say. And it's been a real eye-opener, as, as I mentioned, culturally, very similar to the UK, mm. but in certain aspects, a world apart and, and, and streets ahead of, of the way things operate in the UK, I think. Mm-hmm. Was it hard to get work there? Not necessarily. I think when most people move to, when they go traveling, the first job they look for is in a bar or a mm-hmm. restaurant in the service yeah. industry. So being from the UK, it wasn't that difficult. There's a lot of Irish bars here. So mm-hmm. I was lucky to, to find that job. And then throughout my, my first year in Denmark, I was meeting people, working at the pub, settling in, starting to learn Danish. And then I was thinking to myself, okay, what, what do I want to do? with my life here and I decided to go back into education Mm -hmm. but it it would have been open to me in the UK but it would have cost me an awful lot of money to Mm -hmm. go back to school as a mature student Mm -hmm. and in Denmark I was offered that opportunity and I took it so I'm currently still studying finishing my studies soon but I've been doing that for the last five years in Denmark yeah what are you studying I'm studying marketing so I'm on my internship at the moment yeah. at a company called Sleek. You know, and as I said, the company culture is completely different to the UK. Mm-hmm. But being able, being able to study for free with mm-hmm. support from the government in, in my adopted country has been, has been amazing, something I, I never thought would, would happen really. That's fantastic. Let's take a moment to compare your career trajectory with the lead singer because you mentioned something earlier about the lead singer being like a stockbroker or something and then him switching over and now he's obviously the lead singer of this group and a really good showman. Was some of your attraction to the group a connection to his story or his experiences or anything like that? Subconsciously, you you might have hit on something there. I could be making stuff up. I do that. No, no. I think (laughs) subconsciously, uh, music seems to be disposable. X Factor, pop stars, these kind of things. They have Mm. one hit and they're gone. And maybe I was attracted to the fact that this band, they're real people. They've had lives. This is is something they've decided Mm. to pursue Mm. outside of their careers. They haven't been born pop stars, you know. They've lived Mm. normal lives and then changed careers and been very successful so subconsciously possibly what were you doing before you went traveling i lived in the uk for Mm -hmm. five years uh, Mm -hmm. because when i was was 17 i joined the the british army Mm -hmm. i was there for five years Mm -hmm. and left when i was 22 moved to spain for one year Mm -hmm. i moved back to the uk i spent five years there then i went traveling Mm -hmm. so a bit of a a nomad over the years, really. I hear you on that one. <laughs> Some time bouncing around the world yeah. before before settling here. And I think my experiences of traveling and seeing different countries enables me to appreciate what I have here in Denmark, mm-hmm. which is my home now and, and a country that I'll, I'll stay. This is my home now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you learned Danish? Well, I started learning Danish when I first came here, but mm-hmm. I had to finish in order to pursue my, my other studies. Sure. But I'm learning Danish more by osmosis than anything else. Right, it just yeah. passed into me. So <laughs> I'm not, not, you know, I, I can't speak as well as a, as a native Dane, but I can understand a fair amount. Mm-hmm. But Denmark often ranks uh, the highest for non-native speakers speaking mm-hmm. English. 
Mm-hmm. So everybody, even old people, young people, they all speak English yeah. very well. So oh, it's almost a, a, a vicious circle or a double-edged yeah. sword that the onus isn't necessarily there to learn the language fluently. It, are your marketing studies in Danish or in English? No, they're in English. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so there's yeah. <laughs> study here as well. Yeah. But I watch Danish TV. Things like this, so yeah. I, I can get by. Well, that's pretty impressive because TV can have a lot of slang and a lot of more casual language, which maybe sometimes harder to pick up. If I watch TV that's in English, I'll have Danish subtitles on as well. Oh, that's good. So yeah, that helps me. So I'm able to read Danish very well, but yeah. the pronunciation. Um, <laughs> I don't know about yourself, but being from the UK, speaking other languages is not. There's no importance attached to it, really. Mm. When you're growing up, it's only when you get a bit older you think, I wish that I'd had the building blocks of learning another language mm-hmm. from a young age. Fair enough, yeah. And the teaching of languages is not very good in the U.S. We give some lip service to it, but we don't actually put the practice into it or necessarily value it. Like, yeah. The earlier that you start to learn the mechanics of learning other new languages, it mm-hmm. becomes almost imprinted. So later in life, you're able to, to break mm-hmm. down how to learn a language. Yeah. In China and in other places that I've lived overseas, I know folks who are raising kids and they're growing up bilingually in another culture and then they'll go, you know, to their home country culture during the summers and whatnot. And I'm, I'm so jealous that they have that fluency in both language growing up. Because if you started early, like you said, it's just so much easier later in life to pick up new ones. Definitely. I see the same with a lot of my friends' children. Mm-hmm how my friends will speak English to them and they'll answer in Danish. So there's mm-hmm. not only are they speaking mm-hmm. one language, but they're mixing the languages. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. You know, <laughs> so cool. So quickly. So cool. Do you listen to any Danish music? I do, but that seems to be just overhearing songs here and there. There's mm-hmm. some really iconic Danish songs from really iconic Danish artists over the years mm-hmm. that, that are played at every party, uh, you know, over here on the radio. Mm-hmm. But there's some, some Danish artist that passed away recently, mm. Kim Larsen. Mm-hmm. So the country was in mourning for a few yeah. days. It was a yeah. big parade on the streets of Copenhagen for him. Wow. Yeah. But a, a lot of Danish music as well is, as I mentioned, they speak excellent English, the Danes. So mm-hmm. a lot of music is written in English now, particularly young musicians. Mm-hmm. Mm. You mentioned yeah. the career trajectory of the lead singer beforehand, the writing process. It sounds like you read quite a bit about the band also. What are some other things that you know about them? Oh, that's a big question. They've got a an excellent uh, tour DVD mm. that I would highly recommend watching. You, you don't need to be a fan of the band to watch it because mm-hmm. it's it's not your standard tour guide. They don't just show them playing in Barcelona one night, Milan the next night. Mm -hmm. The brother of the lead singer, he's almost the black sheep of the family. Mm -hmm. He lives at home in his parents' basement. He's never had a job. And his brother is the lead singer of one of the biggest bands in in America. (laughs) So the lead singer allowed his brother to make the documentary. Oh, wow. And it is a, a fascinating examination of brotherhood and mm-hmm. dysfunctional families. <laughs> really, really interesting. And it's, it's, it's really heartwarming that he's allowed his brother, who's the 
yeah, the the one who I was guessing things wrong. He's given him the responsibility of recording, producing oh, this document. Yeah, and it is it's really heartwarming. You can see there's there's real brotherly love between them. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And for which album? Uh, for which tour was that for? That was for the Trouble Will Find Me tour. I'm, I'm, oh, it I'm was. Pretty okay. sure, yeah. But uh, it's called uh, Mistaken for Strangers. Okay. And it's a oh. fantastic documentary. It's not so much a yeah a, a recap of the tour. It's yeah. really really interesting. I would highly recommend it. That was really cool. Now, I just met you like 43 minutes ago, so feel free not to answer. I can edit anything out later. (laughs) Do you have any siblings? I do, yes. I've got an older sister and a younger brother and sister, or half-brother and sister. Okay. And is there any connection to the the lead singer and his brother, like that kind of relationship within your family? Not necessarily. Maybe my sister has been very successful in her life so maybe i'm the the brother recording the documentary and my, <laughs> my sister i'm not too sure no you're not you're not living it <laughs> i don't think that counts i don't think that counts okay so fair enough there isn't that how about the outsider perspective when you were in wales before you left for the uk or spain or any of these things did you feel at home in wales that's a really good question i think I joined the army when I was 17. Mm-hmm. So then part of my development was whilst I was in the military, so I had to leave home at 17 and I was gone then yeah. when I was 22. Mm-hmm. So when I went back home after after leaving the army, there was almost part of me that didn't feel at home there any longer mm-hmm. because I'd gone away, because I developed as a person and changed as a person. Coming back mm-hmm. was only great but I knew that it was never going to be the place that I, I spent the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And there was part of me that thought, I see my friends settling down, see my friends really happy. And I thought to myself, why can't I just, why can't I just be happy here? Why yeah. can't I just settle here and have the same kind of life as my friends? But there was something that, that, that was never going to be for me. And I was always looking to go away traveling. Yeah. But unfortunately, at that time, my father was sick. And then he was sick for a number of years with leukemia. And then he passed away in 2010. Mm. So after he passed away, then that was the, the the catalyst for me to say, okay, I need to do something with myself here. I need to, to, to put myself out there and, yeah. and, and see what happens. And I went traveling and it, it's opened up a lot of doors for me. Mm-hmm. Coming to Denmark, meeting my ex-girlfriend is, I don't know what I would have been doing if I hadn't have gone traveling. Mm-hmm. Before you left for the army, did you, do you have any memories of feeling like an outsider or you just felt like this is my home, no thoughts about it kind of thing? Joining the military was also something that, that interested me from a young age, mm-hmm. uh, but moving away was, was part of the reason as well. The adventure yeah. um, that's attached to it and, and trying new things. And I, I look back now and, and I try and think of myself as a 17-year-old and I, I, I can't believe that I made that decision. <laughs> I look back now and it shocks me. I think I was a child and I made that decision yeah. on my own. Yeah. yeah. 17 is very early to do something like that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's crazy. My mother had to give me give her authorization to send me off oh. yeah, because I was under 18. 
Wow. So, okay, let's do a comparison here. From when you left home at 17 to go into the Army versus mm-hmm. your first travel to a very different foreign country, what would you say was the stronger culture shock? Or the, so the str- adjustment period? I think going into the, the military, you almost swap your your real family for almost a, a, a military surrogate family. Mm-hmm. You know, you've gone from one institution, which is school and and your, your home life and your family structure into the military, which has its own structure, which has its own support network. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not too much of a shock. You've yeah. still got support there. It's a shock in terms of, you know, I don't want to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go for a run. But I, <laughs> I think leaving the military, that was more of a shock coming out oh. and having that okay what what do I do myself now I've got nobody telling me what, what to do and what direction mm-hmm. I need to do go with my life mm-hmm. so that was a it's something I had to deal with the adjustment there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but when I went traveling the places I went were choices of my own so I knew what I was in for right but moving to Denmark was not so much a culture shock but when you visit a place, it's very different to when you go somewhere and you think, this is where I'm going to stay now. This oh, yeah. is what I need to, to to deal with on a daily basis. This is what I, yep. I need to learn to function in this system and how do I get the most? Yeah. How, how do I contribute? So yeah. probably the same yourself in China. Visiting is one thing, but when you live there, it's almost a oh, completely yeah. different proposition. We have a few different ways that you can feedback. So if you go to stephfuccio.weebly.com forward slash contact, let me do that a little slower, S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O dot W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com forward slash contact. You'll see all kinds of ways you can contact me and let me know what you think of this podcast. I have email, WeChat if you're in China or uh, have used WeChat before and are still signed up, Twitter, LinkedIn. And my new favorite thing is SpeakPipe. Over on the right-hand side of that page, you'll be able to leave a sound recording, basically a voice message. You just hit the start recording button that's in bright orange. And uh, once you preview it and, and decide that you want to send that message, you press send. And I receive an email with the voice message. I can also respond in a voice message there as well. It's a really, really cool feature. I can't believe they have this available for free. But until they get smarter about that, I'm going to take advantage of it because it is such a cool feature. Thank you so much. I appreciate all of your input. My, my husband and I, I, I started traveling and living overseas well before we met. And then we met and we started to move to different countries together. And there were a few times, not many, but a few times when we traveled to a country for vacation and then go, oh, I think this should be our next country. Yeah. And then we move there and try to make it work and realize financially and culturally, that was not a good move. Yeah. So we've kind of switched to looking for places where we can be financially okay and then travel where we want to for fun as opposed to trying to live in a place that we think we want to, that we don't know very well, and then trying to scramble to get the finances up to speed. So we've, we've done a complete uh, three, 360, 180, whatever the thing is. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> yeah. a sensible thing to do. You can always visit these places. Mm-hmm. Especially if you have work where you can have vacation time and, and extra funds and stuff. Exactly. And that was the thing. 
It'd be fine if we were making ends meet. We were in the TEFL field, the teaching English overseas field. And in a lot of those situations, it was very hand to mouth. And so it wasn't like we had all this extra leeway for, for other stuff. So we're like, okay, we got to get, we have to change how we're doing this. So it, it took a few countries, but we were like, okay, this is, this is a bit old now. <laughs> yeah. Interesting is a little worn out. We did shift. But man, when I first left to go live overseas, I was like, I'm picking every country. I'm going to learn so much about it. And you know, just so culturally stubborn. <laughs> yeah. And life gets in the way sometimes. Or not in the way, but you have to live your life in these countries. It's not just about visiting museums and visiting the sites. It's something you need to, to look at the whole pros and cons of living in a, in a certain country. A friend of mine moved to Berlin from, from Denmark and within six months he was back in Denmark. Really? Yeah. Berlin's kind of on our radar. I'm curious why they moved back. It's a great place. I love Berlin. It's a fantastic city. But working there, um, I think it can be quite difficult. Yeah. Depending yeah. on what kind of career you're looking for. But yeah. um, came back to Denmark. I've heard that. I actually listened to a podcast recently, the Expat Cast. Nicole does a bunch of things about being an expat in Germany, and she did an entire episode on finding a job and the paperwork involved. And after that, I was like, maybe I'll wait till I have remote work and then just go live there and yeah. work remotely because it just sounded like a nightmare. I mean, if you if I move there and think this is it, this is my last country, okay, fine, I'll invest the time. But for three, four, five years to do all of that just sounded just pretty intense. Yeah, sometimes the bureaucracy is can put you off living somewhere, I yeah, think. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like in China and a lot of places in Northeast Asia, the language barrier is so big that the companies will come in and do a lot of this stuff for you because they yeah. assume that you can't function. And a lot of us can't, especially to that degree with that kind of vocabulary. And so you kind of forget that when you go back to countries that are closer, where they figure you can function. And it's like, oh, no, where's the HR person that helps me go to the post office or helps me set up my bank account or helps me do my visa? And they're like, what? Yeah. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> the girlfriend, did she listen to them? Did she listen to the national? She episode? bought me the album, actually. Ah, Strangely. okay. Yeah. For, for- I think it was Christmas. I can't quite remember, but yeah, but yeah, she, she listened to them. She was a fan. As I said, they've got quite a big following in Denmark. Mm-hmm. So luckily enough, we were able to to see them live, and, and yeah. she was into the music as well. So mm-hmm. maybe that helped. That that helped me settle the fact that we could listen to these things together. And yeah, yeah, because a lot of times when you're in a country for for more than a year, there's a certain point where there's there's kind of the hardship of the initial period. And then there's this kind of break where it just generally gets easier. There are hard moments, but there generally just kind of eases up a lot. When do you yeah. think that happened for you? Because I, I went into education. So I started working in a bar, mm-hmm. spent some time there weighing up my options and decided that I'd like to study again. And that my mm-hmm. foreseeable future was in Denmark but then in, in order to study, very time consuming. And also I had to work on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So there was a, there was a, a four year period where I was in, in school Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. and then I would work on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So that was a real challenge. So I would say it's only been maybe the last two years where I've 
I've managed to find a different job and mm. um, progress with my studies that I've had more free time and I, and I feel more, more settled here. Right. Right. Just because I've got more free time and more, more time to do things and see the country and, and spend time with my friends and that kind of thing. You're saying it's been, a, it was a few years of getting that grounding. Yeah. Just because in order to study, you have to work part-time as well. Mm-hmm. It was a big commitment. Took a lot of, of effort and dedication to, to get past that. But wow. definitely, I'm, those, I'm starting to reap the benefits now. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Wow. When was the last time you listened to this album? I listened to it recently, actually, <laughs> after we started corresponding. Yeah. Um, and it, it, prior to that, it's probably been been quite a while. Mm-hmm. it's not something that I as I said I listen to a lot of podcasts yeah but even listening to it over the last week or so still has an impact on me still mm-hmm. reminds me of those things and same as as other albums that I listened to when I was traveling it almost transports you back there yeah what exactly does it remind you of it reminds me of new experiences in Denmark mm-hmm. that first year everything is new mm-hmm. you have adapt to certain things whereas now they don't become mundane but things become everyday so it reminds me of having that sense of intrigue of living in a new country and new experiences Mm -hmm. something I still experience now but not to that extent right 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 I know you said you like to listen to the whole album, but was there any song or any particular lyrics or chorus or anything that stuck out to you or that really helped you during that few years where you were transitioning into the culture? Well, a mixture of, of that album and the uh, previous album. Mm-hmm. Listen to them both, but I wouldn't say a, a particular lyric, more the album as a whole. Mm-hmm. Were there days when you would come home from from work or study and you'd just be like, I need that album now? <laughs> I don't think it, it. I listened to it in that way, but mm. having it on vinyl, the whole ritual of taking it out of the sleeve, mm. putting it on the record player, switching mm. the record player over, there's almost something cathartic about that. Mm. The ritual of, of listening to music is not a case of just pressing a button. Yeah. That just reminded me of my morning coffee ritual when you were saying that. <laughs> so what, would you listen to it in the morning? Or? No, not necessarily in the morning, but whenever I, I listen to it, it would be on vinyl. And I think that gives you a closer connection to, mm-hmm. to the music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Physically, as I said, taking it out, putting it on, flipping it over. Yeah. You have to work to listen to it, I think. <laughs> So when you listened to it recently, was it in vinyl form or was it in digital form or was it like online or something? I listened to it on vinyl. Mm. So it's, but the, you, you can tell there's slight differences when you listen to it on a set of headphones, for instance, mm-hmm. you hear things that you're never going to hear on vinyl, but mm-hmm. there's something that's a little bit more raw when you listen to it on vinyl, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't stop staring at the album art here. <laughs> I have it over just over to the left from where I'm staring at us. And honestly, um, when you first, do you remember your impression when you first saw the album? Yeah. Initially I was thinking, what is, what, how have they concocted this picture? 
Mm-hmm. Because I initially I thought, is it a reflection? Is it another picture? Mm-hmm. But you can almost really? see the, the person looking out the corner of their eye. Yeah. See, okay, for the listeners, I'll put it in the in the show notes. I'll put an image on Instagram when I publish this. But yeah, because it's, it's, I think, the same woman and part of her head kind of neck to neck. But we don't see any mouth. And it looks like one set of eyes is open and one set of eyes is closed. I think. Yeah, from the angle that she's looking, it looks like her eyes are closed. But in the reflection, you can see that her eyes are slightly... Oh, that there's just a mirror between the two. Yeah, 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 that totally could be. It's just the angle of how we're looking at it that could... Yeah, but I like the fact that you have to look at it more than once to figure out what's going on. Oh, for sure, for sure. And it's so interesting that just looking at it once, even though it's slightly, slightly creepy, it's intriguing, and it's not gory. So it's like, well, that's that's weird. But wait, let me look again. Like it, it kind of invites you to to look in. And it, it's got that kind of abstract, like try to make meaning out of me thing. Yeah, it, it, it looks a little, as you said, a little bit unnerving when you first look at it. Hmm. It takes more investigation. But I think a, a beautiful album cover. Yeah, and is she looking at us or is she looking at herself? Hmm. I think she's looking at us. <laughs> <laughs> it might be like one of those paintings they have in haunting houses where the eyes follow you around the room regardless of where you are. No, if you had that album cover on like all four walls of your room, you'd never, you'd never leave. <laughs> Creep you out, I think. I think maybe, maybe, but it is a very interesting album cover. And is it a drawing or is it a photo? It looks like a photo, right? Does that look like a photo? Yeah, it's a photo. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Do you know anything about the artist that did that, or the photographer that that did that? Me took took. No, that? but I know that the um, other band members they usually produce the artwork. Yeah. So it's probably somebody else from the band that's, that's taken that picture. Okay. Now you mentioned podcasts a few times, and that makes me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the album had a melancholy, but like a deep, meaningful, abstract, like soothing, I think soothing, grounding effect on you. Is there any podcast that you listen to that has that effect on you? That's another good question. Yeah, I listened to one podcast by an Irish singer Mm -hmm. slash artist slash political commentator mm-hmm. called Blind Boy. He's got a set of podcasts called the Blind Boy Podcast. Okay. And again, just the, the, the sheer randomness of the topics mm-hmm. and uh, the way in which he'll introduce topics that he's a working class man. He comes from a working class community. Mm-hmm. But the things he speaks about, like art appreciation and mm-hmm. things like this, it's it's unique. It doesn't necessarily need to be highbrow. You don't need to look at art in, in that way. It can be mm-hmm. um, appreciated by everybody. And the way he breaks it down is fascinating, I think. And the, num- the number of topics that he talks about is is impressive. So that's a, a podcast that I've, I listen to regularly, regularly listen to that one. That sounds really cool. It sounds like one of the long form podcasts. Is it, is it a pretty long one? Yeah, it's about an hour long, yeah. but he started the podcast just to promote sales of his book. Okay. So he was reading some of his short stories oh, and okay. some of his short stories. Well, the, the imagination the man has is, is 
crazy, really abstract. Yeah. Yeah. Did you read his book first? No, I, I listened to the to the podcast, mm. um, and it was almost like an audio book initially, and then it mm. developed. So he he starts talking about different topics, yeah. and I highly recommend. I think you should give it a listen. I I will. Yeah, I I listen to so many. I love new podcasts. Absolutely love them. The first five minutes of a new podcast, I'm all like, what's this going to be like? What are they going to sound like? How am I going to connect with them? (laughs) Meeting a new person. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Somewhat similar, but not at all similar is, um, have you, do you listen to Tangentially Speaking? No. It's, um, I cannot for the life of me remember the gentleman's name right now, but he's very like no, no frills different topics that come up. Sometimes he'll bring on friends or guests and whatnot, and they'll talk about whatever the topic or thing is, or he'll just talk about what's happening. And he's just very to the point, very matter of fact, very blunt, very, but still he's got, I don't want to say spiritual because that sounds out there, but he's got like a connected side, a deep thinky side, like he, yeah. he, he long view kind of perspective. And he's, he's very, very interesting interesting person. I don't know his backstory at all. I just started listening to it thanks to a recommendation um, a few weeks ago. And it's really interesting. They're super long. They're like hour and a half, two hours kind of thing. But okay. Super interesting. No, I think I'll, I'll maybe give that a listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you a link. I end up always having like notes of things that I send people at the end of a conversation. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts on this album and what it meant to you those first couple of years that you were in Denmark? Band, the National, I first got into them through friends back home and then being able to, to meet friends in Denmark with similar musical tastes. I think it helped me settle. Mm-hmm. The country didn't seem so alien and having that network, having some friends where you can bond over a shared appreciation mm-hmm. of something, could be football, music, anything. That that really helped me settle. Mm-hmm. And also having my friends from the UK come over to visit me and we went to watch the national play live. Mm-hmm. I think they're a, a common thread throughout my first year in Denmark. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, the the album and the music has helped me settle in Denmark, definitely. Yeah, I heard so many different pieces of advice when I first moved overseas as an adult. And a lot of them was just immerse yourself deeply in the culture and try not to speak your own language and all of these like really intense, extreme actions to adjust quickly. And the more I talk to people, the more I think of my own my own culture shock when it was strong and when it wasn't strong. These kind of bridging tools, artifacts, things seem to make it actually easier to adjust. Yeah, I agree. It's great to immerse yourself in another culture, but mm-hmm. you still need those links back to home. And, you and too, do Yeah. yeah. And the past and things like that. Definitely, I agree. Yeah. And, and just like with the music, just like with the national, it gave you a tool to create a new community in your new country. I mean, that's... That's yeah, kind of- I, I've taken, essentially, if you break it down, I've taken something from from home, from my path, mm-hmm. to use it to, to settle in more easily. And that's, that's a beautiful thing, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to pick guest brains on where else this podcast could go. So okay. let's see. We've done blogs, poems, pictures, Instagram feeds. 
and now music. Can you think of any other medium that would give itself to this kind of podcast? You could, you could talk about podcasts the way we've just discussed podcasts. Oh, gosh, yeah, we could. They were around long enough ago that people could have had that in their first. Yeah, yeah definitely. I don't know why that didn't come to me. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see the wood for the trees, yeah. as they say. Wow. Yeah, no, seriously. Wow. Okay. Yes. Dear listeners, if there was a podcast that helped you in your first year in your country, that's a really good idea. Okay. Okay. One more, one more. Yeah. Can you think of anything else that I'm missing? Because I, I was so focused on blogs for like a year that I really, really didn't think of anything else. And then I realized I was cutting off an entire generation of people that didn't really blog. And I was like, wait, what am I doing? Movies, maybe, or Ooh. instead of movies, series seem to be the the popular thing at the TV moment. Series, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, these are good. <laughs> these are good. You're my new producer. Done. We've got a deal. Well, Carl, I can't thank you enough for coming on here and sharing all of this with us. No problem, Steph. Thank you very much for for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Again, I welcome and encourage guests on this podcast. So please do contact me if you have a first-year experience that you'd like to reflect on in your current day state. You don't have to currently still be living in the same place. There does need to be some time distance between when you experienced that country and that first-year experience and where you are now. It doesn't need to be as long as my, my 13 or 14 years is from this experience, but there does need to be sometime after the first year ended. Contact me for more details. I would love to hash that out with you and have you be a guest on this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Expat Rewind. More coming your way soon. When I clock out of the hospital at 6 p.m., I'm not done for the night. That's when Gamer Nurse 40 clocks in, and she's got orcs to slay. Sure, I'm playing a 13-year-old in Scranton, but he's a level 53 mage with a filthy mouth. So I need to stay on top of my game. What'd you call me? That's when I crack open a Heineken Zero Zero. Zero alcohol, but just as refreshing. So I can focus on stealing his gold before his mom tells him it's bedtime. Take that, kids. Heineken Zero Zero. 0.0% alcohol. Now you can. Must be 21 plus to purchase. Enjoy responsibly. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. You know what's wrong with health and fitness? You weaponize it against yourself. Why didn't you go to the gym today? You're so lazy. Ah, why did you eat that? You have no self-control. Stop it. At Beachbody, we think training and caring for your body in a way that works best for you should be about loving yourself. Let us help you without all the judgment. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.